Welcome back, and welcome back to Palestine Deep Dive from wherever you're joining us from around the world, uh, and of course, in particular, to our guests in Jerusalem and in Gaza. Uh, welcome to all of you today. What an extraordinary time we're living through. Uh, just in the past few minutes, we are reading stories about more uh, violent attacks in Palestinian areas. We have heard warnings from the United Nations about the escalation and the potential of full-scale war. We've also heard from the United Nations that some of the evictions that have been part and parcel and cause of this latest round of violence, some of these evictions are being described as war crimes by the United Nations. An Israeli minister saying that essentially when it comes to Gaza, there needs to be total long-term quiet. These are desperate times, desperate situations, but we here at Palestine, Palestine Deep Dive, we want to hear from all of you. Uh, we want you to send in your questions from wherever you are, and we know that many of you are joining us for the first time and from right around the world, so welcome. Uh, we, Palestine Deep Dive, we examine the big issues in the Middle East, uh, and this week, is, of course, is no exception. And of course, in recent weeks, the question of Palestine has been pushed to the very front of the global news and political agenda, and not in a way that many people uh, in Palestine would want, of course. Each day we've witnessed some of the most appalling acts of state violence meted out to Palestinians, and each day we've waited for the condemnation and sanction of an Israeli state that seems to be either out of control or losing control, or both. So with the situation in Palestine rapidly evolving and possibly heading towards another major uprising or intifada, uh, we're very fortunate to be joined by three seasoned campaigners. Issam Adwan, welcome Issam. Uh, Badur Hassan, Badur, thank you very much for joining us at very short notice. Unfortunately, Amani couldn't be with us today. Uh, she had a family situation but Buddha has stepped in at the last minute. We're very grateful for that. And to, of course, Mohammed Elkad. I just want to just give you a quick bit of background. Of course, many of you will know our guests, but those of you who don't, uh, Issam is Gaza project manager for the organization We Are Not Numbers and is a trained translator and interpreter. He's a journalist and English teacher with more than four years of experience. And in 2019, he was chosen by the Carter Center, that's I think named after former US President Jimmy Carter, to be the first Palestinian independent observer for the Tunisian elections. Uh, Issam has earned his bachelor's degree in English and teaching methods from Al-Aqsa University, and is currently working on his thesis for a master's degree in translation and interpretation at the Islamic University of Gaza. Abdul Hassan is a lawyer and she works in the Jerusalem and Legal and Human Rights Center uh, and is in Jerusalem, of course, and has been following the case of uh, the settler incursions into Sheikh Jarrah and the Palestinian reaction and the international reaction very close uh, to 2009. And I think also Boudou is going to be able to give us some historic background to what is happening. So many of the events that are played out on our screens appear to be just happening out of the blue for no reason, if you believe what the mainstream media uh, tells us. But actually, in reality, there are deep historical uh, reasons uh, uh, behind much of what is happening. Um, she's an activist and, and she's on the ground in Jerusalem. Uh, so she knows what's happening. She can tell us what's happening. And last, of course, but not least, Mohammed El-Kurd. Uh, he's an internationally touring poet and writer he tells us he's a bit tired today. We're not surprised, but thank you very much for joining us, Mohammed, this, at this particular time. Um, his work has been featured in The Guardian in this week, uh, in Al Jazeera English and The Nation. Uh, and Mohammed graduated from the Savannah College of Art and Design with a BFA in writing. And apart from poetry and writing, he's a visual artist, printmaker, and most recently co designer of a fashion collection with Serbian designer Tina Ganchev. I hope I've pronounced her correctly. Um, Mohammed, you spend uh, many of your, uh, you spent many of your undergraduate weekends performing poetry at campuses and cultural centers across the United States. Um, 
I'm Mark Seddon. Um, I'm delighted to be here today with you all. And uh, I started off as the Al Jazeera correspondent at the United Nations. I went to work for the United Nations afterwards. Um, I've taken a long, long interest in affairs in the Middle East. And um, that is why we're all here today. And uh, thank you. And I, I, I want really to, 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 to say this is a, obviously, it's a, it's a very difficult time for you to take out. There's a lot happening. Um, so we are grateful for, for all of this. Um, we are going to dwell, I think, very much on what's happening on the ground now, what needs to be the response. Um, and I wondered really, Badur, if I can, if I can begin with you, um, and, and, and really I suppose the question is about kind of the reporting that we're seeing of the, of the violence being meted out in the occupied territories. And, and I was looking in particular at the New York Times the other day um, because they referred to clashes. Uh, as though these, these things were just happening, there were clashes. Clashes just sounds like people demonstrating and the police putting up their riot shields and some rocks being thrown. Um, and also there was, there was, none of this is ever put into any context. Um, but of course, uh, and also a lot of the questioning as we were talking before the show again, especially on many of the Western media outlets, always begins with um, rockets being fired by uh, militants in Gaza. Well, there's no denying that missiles are being fired by people in Gaza, but the point that doesn't seem to have been made is what is the cause of this reaction? So but I wonder if you could just tell us what people feel um, what people feel when they see headlines like this and how do you begin to turn around this narrative? Okay, so when we talk about clashes, this reflects a certain sense of symmetry that you have two equal parties and these equal sides are just clashing out there or fighting out there which doesn't reflect the fact that you're talking about a state with one of the most powerful armies in the world, the only nuclear power in the Middle East, and a state that has basically colonized the Palestinian people since 1948. So this, this fact is excluded when we talk about clashes. We also, that also doesn't reflect the huge gap between the weapons that Israel uses against the Palestinian people on the street, especially in Jerusalem, we've seen the use of tear gas, rubber bullets, and uh, skunk water, in addition to brutal attacks on protesters, mass arrests, etc. While Palestinians, the only thing that they have is their voices and their uh, rocks. So this is the huge difference that the word clashes doesn't really capture, not even the word riots also. So terminology does really matter and terminology keeps this, uh, using this neutral terminology is not really neutral, but it reflects this narrative of just putting these uh, two parties on the same, uh, on the same line. That's a main problem that we have with the word clashes and with the terminology being used. And this is why we always warn that it's not a clash. These are not clashes. These are people resisting a colonial occupation power that is threatening them with mass displacement and that has been uh, trying to ethnically cleanse the Palestinian people since 1948. The same thing when we're talking about the reason why the firing from Gaza started. Many people try to pretend as if these rockets came out of the blue, forgetting that this was Earth that this was a declared response to Israel's refusal to stop its mass displacements, uh, imminent mass displacement in uh, Al Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, and also its continued attacks on Al Aqsa Mosque compound, which just two days ago we've seen how Israeli soldiers stormed Al Aqsa Mosque compound and used uh, stun grenades. Uh, I, I should say, U.S. export imported stun grenades, and not just in the squares of Al Aqsa Mosque, but in the mosque itself. Again worshippers who were just there praying to, to God. So this is basically what was happening and what the word uh, what the words clashes and what the terminology used by the media doesn't reflect. I mean on this I mean we've just one of our um, regular viewers actually Stephen Watters has made this comment he says that you never hear about the attacks on fishermen and farmers in Gaza that this has been going on for months non-stop provocation says Stephen but with the, these particular what what I mean can you just tell us from your experience on the ground in Jerusalem 
what has what have been the key events that have led to this situation that we are seeing right now and can you please explain to us because a lot of us didn't know about these marches by settler organizations um that that marched through Palestinian districts the occupation of these districts um is that it was was it that uh, and and the displacement the evictions that have that have really sort of have, have kind of culminated in this reaction. What is it, what are the, tra can you tell us about the train of events? That's what I think we need to know. Yes, so obviously we'll try to be short term because, you know, when we talk about the train of events when it comes to Palestine, we can go as far back as 1917, right? With the Balfour Declaration, but I don't, I won't go as far back. I will just go to what started happening with the start of Ramadan, uh, the holy month of fasting, which was also coincided with the start of April. So Israel basically blocked Palestinian youth from gathering on Damascus Gate steps, which is for Palestinian Damascus Gate is an iconic spot, not only because it's a gateway to the old city, but it's a place where they used to gather. It's, it symbolizes the reclamation of a public space because it's one of the places where Palestinian days can sit, they can sing, they can drink coffee or tea, and especially on the nights of Ramadan. So when they saw that Israel tried to prevent them from sitting at their beloved steps uh, by blocking these steps with metallic barriers and barricades, they started uh, resisting in the form of throwing rocks at the occupation army and uh, uh, so-called clashes or confrontations with the Israeli army uh, happened or the Israeli border police happened on a daily basis. So after these, uh, these events, on the second Thursday of Ramadan, uh, Israeli settlers led by a settler group called Lehava, which is uh, infamous for its incitement against Palestinians, a far-right, uh, blatantly and outspokenly fascist group, also marched in the streets of Jerusalem, supposedly to protect Jewish honor. This is what they explicitly said. And they began uh, their incitement and their attacks against Palestinians. This didn't deter Palestinians from staying on their line and, stay and defending Damascus Gate and trying to prevent the Israeli army and the Israeli police from continuing its besiegement and its closure of Damascus Gate. Eventually, uh, the uh, steadfastness of these Palestinian youth, many of whom, or most of whom, I should say, had no previous political involvement. They're, they're mainly teenagers, and they're incredibly fearless. So they managed, they forced the Israeli border police to withdraw, and they removed the metallic barriers in a scene reminiscent of what happened in 2017 when Palestinian youth managed to uh, open the gates of Al-Aqsa Mosque compound and force Israel to remove its metal detectors. After that, uh, what, what happened is instead of this momentum dying because the events uh, in Damascus gate uh, calmed down, people especially Palestinian youth, took advantage of this momentum and transformed it to what was happening in Sheikh Jarrah. Sheikh Jarrah has been for decades embroiled in a battle. The residents of Sheikh Jarrah, most of whom are refugees who were already displaced in 1948, they have been embroiled in a legal battle against Israeli settler groups. Groups Chief among them is Nakhla Chimon, in order for these uh, residents to protect themselves from mass displacement, from a second displacement, or in some cases, a third displacement. And these youth that participated in the Damascus Gate uh, protest, joined the movement in Sheikh Jarrah that also started at the start of Ramadan, and it transformed it into a nightly sit-ins with, with singing, with gathering to have a collective and group iftar outside the homes slated for uh, forcible evictions or displacement. And this has uh, resulted in uh, tens and dozens of youth from all over historic Palestine coming to Jerusalem on buses in order to support the families in Sheikh Jarrah. So this is what's happening. Of course, Israel uh, was not just, I might, If I might just come in there. So, I mean, essentially, yeah. these, are, these have been um, peaceful demonstrations, but essentially people saying so far and, and, and no further, we've had enough. And But we're, but peaceful demonstrations, it began as peaceful demonstrations, and that's what we've seen. I just wondered if I can... Go now to um, Issam in Gaza. Can you 
Can, can you tell us what the situation is there? Because, of course, whilst this was going on in Jerusalem to begin with, uh, it was reasonably quiet in uh, Gaza. Um, but then th there has been this uh, reaction. And, and the obviously the Israeli military action, people are seeing around the world. And they're also, people can see quite clearly in terms of the number of casualties, uh, Israeli casualties and Palestinian casualties, who is suffering the most? It's a familiar story. But Isam, can you tell us what the situation now is in Gaza? Thank you, Mark, for having me again. Uh, the situation in Gaza is not something new for the people who are following the news of Gaza, but certainly we're facing a fourth brutal war as happened back in 2008, 2012, and 2014. Until so far, the Ministry of Health has reported uh, 56 uh, dead people, including 14, ch uh, 14 children and six females, including a female who, who was pregnant. And uh, those images and those videos you, we are seeing on social media, they are not something new. Uh, Gaza has been facing this brutality for the past 15 years. Uh, and unfortunately for, for the people inside Gaza, they're used to those scenes, they are being traumatized, they are, uh, they are facing this dehumanization on so many levels. And for some people, the, 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 the misleading perception about the people of Gaza that uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to Hamas or the political parties shooting rockets to Israel, they see that this is the, the provoke of Israel's response, but this is so, so untrue because Gaza is having a systematic low death policy for the past 15 years. People are dying because of the lack of medical, you know, medical sufficiency expertise. People are dying because of the lack of employment. People are dying because uh, uh, scientists uh, have expected Gaza to be unlivable by 2020, and here we are, 2021st. So uh, Israel has been enforcing this uh, strong party policy to Palestinians in Gaza, to Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, to Palestinians wherever they are, dehumanizing them, asking them or forcing them to remain silent in exchange for the promise of rights to be granted by Israel. And this is not a new image. Uh, luckily, uh, the social media and the, the media stream, I would say, is, uh, is paying enough attention nowadays because of the use of social media, which has changed and shaped a different perspective of, of our wave resistance. Now we are seeing a lot of campaigns, a lot of marching in different countries, showing solidarity to Palestinians, calling to impose sanctions in Israel, and uh, so many other things that we are so proud of happening. I believe uh, they are late to happen, but we will do our best to figure, uh, to figure, out, to figure out and explore more ways of reaching our narrative and delivering those truths to people who care enough to uh, speak up on them. Isam, you just mentioned there, this, this is effectively the fourth war um, in recent years that Gaza has been subjected to. And, and other, other observers have said that, you know, each time there's this horrendous destruction and we're seeing it now, we're seeing apartment block coming down, um, terrible destruction. Uh, and each time it happens, uh, then there's an attempt to rebuild. And then there's another round of destruction and on it goes. And also, as well, as you know better than anybody else, we keep on being told that Gaza is, is becoming virtually uninhabitable. What do you think makes it different this time round? Um, because as you were just saying there, that the, the, the global reaction, I mean, it's still muted from the EU and from countries like the US and Britain, but the global response seems to be very, very strong this time. Do you, do you think that's going to help? Yeah, definitely. I believe that the action of the people could change something in the near future. We have been isolated away from the international community and the communities who care enough to listen to our uh, to our narrative. But nowadays, with the, with the use of social media, you can see the use of Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Those narratives are reaching people and they hear us. Unfortunately, it is it is too late and people are dying to, to, to make these stories alive. But we are doing our best to explore more ways to reach them. Uh, people, when people speak about Gaza, the, the things that they only perceive is Gaza with vision uh, of people dying and, and house, uh, houses bombed and casualties happen. But there are other perspectives of Gaza that we need to document. I mean, people have lives. And they, those people are eager to live normal lives with peace and dignity, which they cannot have. Uh, with, the, with this siege imposed, with the continuous policy of Israel uh, in Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, in Jerusalem, the invasion of, of, of worshippers in Al-Aqsa Mosque, and so many other dehumanizations. So what do we have? What means do we have? Other than, you know, acting, acting in, in defense, in self-defense, speaking out the truth, whatever we're doing. For instance, 
what we did at the, at the eastern borders of Gaza during the Great March of Freedom, we protested peacefully. Still, we are encountered with live ammunition, explosive ammunition, tear gas, sniper rifles, and so many other ways that are prohibited internationally to be used against, against peaceful protesters. Now, when Hamas is shooting rockets, and not only Hamas, we're talking about a, a different political parties shooting rockets to Israel. Now they are they are they are measuring and they are asking and questioning the, the reaction itself. But I believe there are worthy questions to be asked. Let's ask why the occupation exists, why there's an impunity for Israel and the international community, why the ICC cannot do anything to mm -hmm. impose sanctions on Israel. Those are the worthy questions to be discussed, not to discuss the pockets as an act of self-defense, not to discuss the people uh, who are dying. I mean, maybe the question that should be asked, why Rahat al-Masri, a 10-year-old girl, died while she was back in the, to, to her house after purchasing clothing of Al-Eid? Those are the questions that I believe will be important to ask ourselves and to get answers for. Thank you, Issam. Mohammed, if I might turn to you, I mean, what's been also um, quite extraordinary is that although there's been a lot of media focus on the, on the major flashpoints at Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, the Israeli military strikes and what have you, there have been major demonstrations and responses right across historic Palestine um, in Israel proper itself. Um, this, the, 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 it, and this hasn't actually, I mean, sometimes uh, you can see that these events are almost have been wished for, planned for uh, by the Israeli military. They expected that, but this has not been expected. Um, it's almost as though they've lost control of events. And um, we at Palestine Deep Dive were quite struck by the fact that uh, Dr. Baghouti the other day was actually suggesting that this could possibly be the beginnings of a new intifada. I mean, do, do you think he might be right? And can you explain the levels of anger that seem to be um, uh, on, on show just as much in Gaza City as they are in Hebron or in um, northern Israel? Um, I'm not interested in the question about whether this constitutes a third intifada. What I'm interested in is um, this is 73, year, um, yeah, 73 years of dehumanization and it's whatever is happening all over all across historic Palestine is actually too late, um, but it's happening. I think the Palestinian people are realizing that, be it in the Gaza Strip, in the besieged Gaza Strip, or be it in occupied in in led occupied Palestine, or in Haifa occupied Palestine, or Nazareth occupied Palestine, or in Jerusalem occupied Palestine, or Ramallah occupied Palestine, um, no one should tolerate this and are we are realizing that colonial fragmentations the Israeli colonialism in Palestine no longer is no longer successful in fragmenting us we saw this in the Sheikh Jarrah movement we're seeing this in the response of the brutal fascistic terroristic attack at the Gaza Strip from the Israeli occupation forces um, of course they are losing control of course because oftentimes what happens is that they isolate Gaza and they isolate the narrative around Gaza. And um, and if I'm allowed, like if I'm allowed to cross, I think people are finally calling bullshit on this. The the the, the myth of self-defense, the myth of Hamas rockets, the, those myths that they use to um, justify a literal genocide, like a, a reoccurring annual genocidal launch of warfare on Gaza is no is like see-through nowadays and we're seeing this because of social media we're seeing that people no longer accept this across across history um colonial regimes have fabricated historical racial religious nuance um to justify the violence they inflict on indigenous populations meanwhile indigenous populations are seen as this primitive population that is not allowed to use violence, that is not that doesn't have a right to self-defense, word to the American um, administration. What's what's re what's we're realizing is that we're we're contextualizing the Palestinian situation within that framework of colonialism, which is the only accurate framework to to depict Palestinians because it it's the umbrella term for apartheid and for the military occupation and for the dehumanization of Palestinians. Um, and people, young people all across the world are finally um, realizing this. I don't think Palestinian people are counting on the international community to do anything to support them because not only have the international communities 
have been most of them have been in long standing with Israel, but also all of these communities have blood on their hands, not just Palestinian blood, blood of their own people. These um, governments that we're calling on to help us are fascist, are fascist governments in their own rights, have dehumanized their own people in their own rights, have killed and brutalized their minorities in their own right. Um, we are realizing here in Palestine and young people are realizing all across the globe that this fight for Palestine is one for abolition. It's not just, it's not just about a government reforming itself. It's Ma about- Mohammed, if, 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 if I may, I mean- Let me finish my sentence. It's about yeah. all of these governments coming to term with the fact that they shouldn't be fascist. Ma Ma it's, it's what you're saying is very interesting, Mohammed, because I mean, what we have seen is uh, of course, you know, people who have, um, have talked of apartheid and settler colonialism uh, in the past have often been forced on the defensive. But what has changed, as you will know, the past few weeks is when organizations like Human Rights Watch say there is essentially apartheid being practiced right across uh, Palestine, then it becomes very difficult for international media to um, ignore it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a powerful thing that's changed. So that, that, is, that seems to me to be quite an important thing. Um, but at the same time, if you're not expecting a great deal of uh, support from the international community, how can people actually help? When you talk about people out there on social media, how can people actually be helpful right now? What can they be doing? Well, to begin, you know, the fact that the people's, people's interpretation of the fact that Israel is an apartheid state, is a colonial state, hinges on Israeli human rights organizations coming out and saying this, hinges on Western organizations coming out and saying this, and not on the Palestinians who've been articulating this for seven decades now, is racist. And that is the beginning of the problem. Again, this is you know the dehumanization of Palestinians, the dehumanization of any colonized population is the fact that we cannot self-articulate. We are not allowed to to speak about our um, colonizers, we're not allowed to speak about our occupiers or occupiers. And instead, people ask the slayers about the slain. It's not a, a symmetrical equation. It's not just. Um, of course, I. The. It's not that I want the international community to support me um, by doing me a favor. I want the international community to support me because it has to, because it is its obligation professionally to do so. And people of the world, people of, of, of all around the world can protest, not only Israel, but their own government's involvement in the dehumanization of Palestinians. And they can hold their governments by the ears and force them to finish these, these deals, force them to stop this dehumanization of Palestinians, this colonizing of Palestinians. So it's not that I don't want um, international communities to help me, international governments to help me it's that they will not help me, it's that the history has showed me that they won't help me unless they are forced to. And they will only help me once their own people are liberated. Well, thank you. But if I may come back to you, um, can you explain to us something um, about the settlement activity that's been going on uh, in Jerusalem? And what is, because the way this is often presented in the media is that, uh, Oh well, there's been some some property that's been sold off. Some settlers have moved in, but there's not a there's not an explanation as to how this is actually happening and over such a long period and, and what it actually means. And yet we've also just heard from the United Nations today that uh, these evictions actually could constitute a war crime. Since you you've been there, you've been covering all of this. Can you can you tell us what it means? Um, what is the what is the idea behind all of this? Why are settlers moving in? And does this mean a lot more settlement can also happen on its back? So since nineteen since the annexation and the illegal annexation on the occupation of the rest of Jerusalem, which is the eastern part of Jerusalem in nineteen sixty seven, Israel has started its uh, colonial settlement enterprise in Jerusalem and first started it directly through the power of the government through the confiscation of Palestinian land, the transformation of some of these land to national parks and then handing them out exclusively to Jewish settlements or declaring these land military zones and preventing Palestinians from constructing uh, in these land until we reached a situation where 40% uh, 
of uh, the uh, of, of the Jew of the Jewish Israelis who live in Jerusalem live in the eastern part of Jerusalem. We have settlement only neighborhoods like Pisgat Ze'ev, for instance, in uh, East Jerusalem, in the eastern part of Jerusalem, which are adjacent to Palestinian neighborhoods, and the huge difference between the services, between the infrastructure, between the privileges that these settlements enjoy compared to the uh, what Palestinians are not allowed to build, are not allowed to expand, is just scathing. Now, there is, in addition to that directly state-sponsored campaign to Judaize Jerusalem, <clears throat> through settlements, we have some settler organizations. In Sheikh Jarrah, we have the settler group of Nakhlat Shimon International, which is a US-registered organization with a tax-deductible charity status in the United States, which has been leading the campaign against uh, Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah, claiming or that uh, the, the land on which these houses in Sheikh Jarrah were built in 1948 belonged to uh, to Jews. Now the uh, the grounds on which this claim is based is not only very specious. Palestinians went to Turkey to uh, and checked the registration of this land and. Palestinians argue that the papers on which the Nakhlat uh, Shimon relies are not even valid papers. Still, the Israeli courts refuse to contest the legality of the claim of settlers to own this land and continue to assume the right of these settler groups to ownership. We're not talking about settler, settler groups working on their own. We're talking about government-sponsored settler groups, and it's very important not to separate between what the Israeli occupation government has been doing and what these Israeli settlements, uh, settler groups, which are like pro proxies to the Israeli government have been doing, and what the courts have doing. The important thing that Israeli courts, especially the Israeli high court, has been trying to portray this as some sort of a private ownership dispute. We have just two parties fighting over ownership of land. This is not the case. The case is that there are groups with huge funding directly supported by the Israeli state with the complicity of the entirety of the Israeli legal system that enjoy, enjoy unlimited police support and use the Israeli laws which allows Israelis, uh, Israeli Jews to go back to before 1948 to claim ownership even if on the basis of specious documents. In the meantime, prevent Palestinians who were displaced before 1948 from Baqa for example, in the western part of Jerusalem, to reclaim the lands and the homes. 10,000 homes were, were dis uh, displaced or were evicted in 1948 of their Palestinian owners and given to Israeli Jews in western Jerusalem. None of the Palestinians who were displaced from these 10,000 homes in west Jerusalem were ever allowed to return to these homes, even though they have ownership deeds, they have the keys to their own homes. So this is definitely not a private dispute over property or just a fight between a settlement group and Palestinians, but between government-sponsored settlement groups and Palestinians with the backing of the Israeli court to these groups. So, Boudur, can I, from that, uh, what seems to be become, becoming apparent to a lot of people who perhaps don't know as much from outside Palestine is actually that there is a process going on of deliberately pushing Palestinians out of Palestine altogether. And that, that you, could, you could say that there, this actually marks a difference between the apartheid system in South Africa and the apartheid that may be being a, a practice in Israel, in that the South African whites knew that they could never outnumber the South African blacks, and so they, they couldn't push everybody out, although they had these Bantu stands. But in Israel, Palestine, it looks as though that's a process that to drive Palestinians out of Palestine altogether. Is that a long-term plan? Can you, and based on what we're seeing in Jerusalem, do you think this is what it's all about? So basically, the original plan of the Zionist movement was, as you said, to entirely get rid of, of the Palestinian population through ethnic cleansing, to have as few as much land as possible for the Zionist project, 
with as less Palestinians as possible. Now, the 1948, despite the ethnic cleansing of 700,000 Palestinians from uh, the areas occupied in uh, territories occupied in 1948, didn't entirely succeed. In 1967, after the occupation of the West Bank, the annexation of Jerusalem, the occupation of the Jaulan, and also the occupation of the Gaza Strip, the, the, the Zionist project fell into a dilemma. And this was articulated by Abba Ibn, the former ambassador to the United States, who said that regarding whether to grant Palestinian equal rights to get rid of them, he described Palestinian in 48 as arsenic and said there is only a limited amount of arsenic that a body can uh, tolerate. So apparently this is how they refer to us. Now in 1967, Palestinians even clung more, clung more to their land because they already experienced a first ethnic cleansing. So despite the Israeli threats of displacement and the attempts to displace all Palestinians, this, was, this failed in 1967. So the only solution for Israel was at the time to to grant Palestinians in Jerusalem a permanent residency. Permanent residency is easily revocable on various grounds, including the losing of the center of life, etc. And since 1967, indeed, 14,000 Palestinians have been uh, evicted, displaced from East Jerusalem based on losing their residency status. The other plans that have been used by Israelis in order to, suffoc to suffocate Palestinians to the extent that, that they are forced to leave Jerusalem is actually by denying them permits to build, by denying them permits to expand, by threatening to revoke their residency because they are uh, not loyal to the occupation as if Palestinians who are under occupation are supposed to be loyal to their occupying power and by really humiliating them and by suffocating them to the extent that they have only one choice which is to Palestinians despite all these efforts, despite decades of Israeli efforts to erase their identity, to, le to lead them to leave their uh, villages and neighborhoods in Jerusalem have, have still remained and have still stayed steadfast and we see within this context, we should we should see these forced displacement efforts in Sheikh Jarrah. Also, there is another village in Jerusalem, which is Silwan. Two neighborhoods in this uh, village, including uh, Batn al-Hawa and Al-Bustan, are also slated for uh, imminent and uh, displacement. So these efforts of mass displacement follow this pattern of Israel failing to completely ethnically cleanse Palestinians, then using all it can, especially so-called legal and bureaucratic forms in order to force Palestinians to leave uh, on their own and to say that it's not us that they are, we are forcing them to leave, it's the law that says this. But we know that when the law is enacted by a racist colonial state, it's, it can't be neutral. It's a law that's designed to enshrine uh, Jewish supremacy in Jerusalem. Thank you. Thank you, Bidu. I'm just going to actually, we've got a number of uh, people sending in messages, all very good points as Zainab out. Salam from Ankara. Um, Haida Amais says salam from Singapore. Carol Kizam says salam from Malaysia. Latifa, hello from Australia. Um, we've got a lot of people sending in uh, questions and points. Um, uh, Abdullah Khan, um, he says, and I, this is for you, Sam, uh, how can someone from outside Palestine help? other than raising their voices on social media? And this is a question we've, we've, we've been talking with Mohammed, with Boudoub, but now with you, because there are a lot of people who are, who are, are listening intently and learning and seeing and wanting to do something. What can, what can people do, Issam? Yeah, uh, fulfilling what Mohammed already started, I would also ensure that ignorance is the first step towards understanding people, getting close to them, listening to them, not listening about them. So starting from listening to them, you would realize a lot of things closely to their lives and to their sufferings. The second thing, and, and Mohammed highlighted that, is that start sharing those narratives of Palestinians, start amplifying their voices, start talking about them, start a, talking to their, a, taking their stories to a bigger, broader perspective and media outlets. The third part is approach your governments, because uh, especially the governments of the U.S. and the United Kingdom, we are witnessing a full support, a full aid to the uh, militarized Israeli occupation. And uh, starting from approaching them, uh, uh, bidding, making them a bit by international laws, because Israel is violating every accord of humanity, this will be a uh, this will create a great impact that the people are influencing uh, the the governmental policies 
which also uh, which also supporting uh, the Israeli as an apartheid system. The fourth thing is that uh, working together, I mean, working and supporting for, uh, to organizations working on the ground in the West Bank, occupied territories and Gaza, and such collaborative will create an atmosphere and, and, and the network uh, of a trusted uh, news, of trusted, you know, uh, uh, stories coming out live from the ground. And this will also contribute to raising awareness to a lot of audiences. Well, thank you. And, and um, Isan, there's, a, there's a, a Sarah Balter. And Sarah, actually, I think she's uh, from Istanbul. She says, Salam from Istanbul. She says um, that plan to kick out Palestinians is also practice on Gaza. Uh, it's nearly impossible for Gazans to leave Gaza. Uh, but if they have the opportunity for a job abroad, for university, etc., many are not even allowed to return to Gaza. And I suppose when we were just talking to Boudoud then about the situation with um, settlers, and uh, the, the drive to push Palestinians out. Um, in Gaza, effectively, Israel abandoned its settlement and, um, uh, and, and many people have observed that Gaza is almost like an open air prison camp. You can't leave and you can't, you can't enter. Um, so, I mean, what, what is the, it must be a, such a pent up frustration amongst people in Gaza now, a desperation. Definitely, as I highlighted before, that people of Gaza has been living, people of Gaza have been living a cycle of death for the past 15 years, suffocated with an intentional policy to suffocate every norm of their existence as human beings. I mean, the the health system is collapsing, the economy is collapsing, unemployment rate is in, is crazily increasing. I mean, uh, water is undrinkable, food uh, is barely is is barely offered to the majority of families. We can witness this this policy that the Gazans are facing, <clears throat> but when it comes to people, when when it comes to people, I mean, there's escalation, and I, and I hate to use the word escalation because it's not. When this happens, and I mean, tension happens in Jerusalem, uh, as for example, in, in Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, they expect the people of Gaza to remain silent of the injustice people are facing. We are personally facing injustice day by day, and we can remain silent on that. Either we protested, either we shot rockets, we're always the blame. So what means and what methods do the international community recommend for Palestinians to use? And we have not used that before. Mohammed, if I can come to you, you've been very patient there and thank you. Uh, we've, um, we, there's a message here from uh, one of our viewers in, in, uh, in France. Uh, she says, Salam from France. What are your views on the Palestine Authority? I'm amazed by the impressive and massive mobilization of young Palestinian women and men um, who have been lucid on the fact that the Palestine Authority seems useless. Is, is that a fair, Mohammed? is that a fair point? And, and, and what about these elections in both? I can imagine an election taking place in the middle of this, but what's the, what's the, what are people thinking about all of that? Um, I think useless is an understatement. I think um, the Palestinian Authority is counterproductive to our liberation. I think they are tools of the Israeli occupation state um, and that's all I want to say about them. Um, in terms of the elections, my entire view is um, I don't think there could be just elections under occupation. I don't think there should be just elections under occupation. Um, I don't think we should be living under occupation. It, it's quite startling and stunning to me that we continue um, to be living under occupation. I think what makes what we are doing, and when I say we are, I truly mean we are as a Palestinian society in terms of civil um, organizations, in, in terms of people protesting on the street, in terms of journalism, journalists on the street, in terms of medics. What we are doing is that we're taking over the narrative. We are refusing um, the status quo that the international community has forced us into for many, many years. And we are refusing to be apologetic. Um, the clear aggressor in any equation regarding Palestine is Israeli colonialism. There is not a scenario in which Palestinians can be um, on the wrong side because fundamentally what's happening is that we are being colonized, we are being subjugated and everything that comes after is a direct result of that. I think Palestinians on the ground are refusing to be muzzled, are refusing to play into these words, um, play into these frameworks that were offered by um, 
the international community or by Arab governments. And um, I think that's what's working. I think literally the only difference is that we are being represented by ourselves rather than um, a Palestinian authority that doesn't reflect any of our feelings, let alone any of the decisions we'd be making should we be in power. Um, well, thanks for that, Mohammed. And I just wanted to also ask you, it's a slightly different question, but um, we know we've been watching this situation with um, the is Israeli elections and uh, the perpetual attempts by uh, Netanyahu to form a government that seemed to fail um, at each hurdle. But at the same time, we also watched as uh, uh, Benny Gantz was being heralded by some in the Western media and what have you, being the opposition. Um, and yet it's this same Benny Gantz who is today um, calling for, you know, a permanent quiet in Gaza. You know, he's saying that uh, there needs to be total long-term quiet, the quiet of the cemetery, one imagines that he's alluding to. But the, but the point, I suppose the question is, and this is a question from Lynn Laidlaw, actually, uh, she says, to what degree does the current situation impact on Netanyahu's attempts to form a new government? I mean, this, this may not seem very important uh, to you at the moment, but it clearly, uh, you know, if the Israelis can't even form a government, that's an issue. But what do you think about that, Mohammed? Well, I, I don't think I'm the best person to answer this. I, don't, I, I honestly don't think I have the knowledge to answer this. I think all of them are terrorists. All, every single last one of them is a terrorist. And that's that. I don't think there's nuance there. I don't think there's um, controversy. I don't think there's a layer. I don't think there's any kind of um, nuance. I think all Israeli politicians have been um, have been terrorists or have supported terrorism or have been silent about terrorism. And um, yeah. Well, um, we've got here Carol Gazam. He says uh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, we in Malaysia were rather uh, occupied with COVID issues, including this lockdown that we have. We can't compare our situation to what our brothers and sisters are facing in Palestine. Uh, pray that Allah may protect us all. Um, Abada, he says, I'm afraid, Abada, I don't have your second name. Um, wow, this is such an awesome group. I haven't heard any words from Palestinian politicians that represent Palestinians the way that these three have. That's you three, by the way, in case you didn't know, but you did. Um, so there we are. I mean, uh, what can you just look ahead now, um, uh, Boudour, if you can look ahead to where we could possibly be in a few weeks' time, where do you think this... Uh, this could end, or does is this the just, or is this the beginning of the end? Are we moving into a situation which is going to be very different from what has gone on before? Because facts are being changed on the ground, and the response this time is so very different, it seems, to what is that? Or are we just going to see a repeat of people battered back into submission? What do you think is going to happen? Difficult to ask you this question, and you know it's uh, to look into a crystal ball. It's always a difficult thing, but you must have a feel as to where you think this could go. Yeah, I think first I agree with what Mohammed said that I'm not really inclined to think about framing. Many, whenever something happened, we tend to have this reference: is it a third intifada? What do we call it? I'm not really interested in calling or terming it. I'm interested in really continuing to participate in it to be honest so and I I do agree it's very hard to know what will happen uh, because there are so many different fronts right now we have the popular uh, on in both in Jerusalem and in the in the territories occupied in 1948 I hope that in the West Bank also protests will follow suit I know that it's incredibly difficult because they, uh, they don't only have to fight the Israeli occupation, they also have to fight the Palestinian Authority, which is a subcontractor of the occupation. We have also the uh, threats of escalating war against uh, Gaza. And this is also uh, another front. And we have threats of, uh, even in one area, in, in, led in, 19, in the areas occupied in 1948, Israel has already declared emergency, and is there are so, so many threats of incitement against Palestinians on Israeli TV, on national Israeli TV, that they can't really live with these because we are viewed always as tourists, as ticking bombs, as Palestinians, whenever we happen to live and whatever the color of our IDs is. So it's really impossible.
impossible to look for, to look beyond the current day things change what i do hope for and and what i have trust in is that what what started this huge mobilization that started uh, and gathered steam at the start of ramadan i just hope that it will continue with the same fervent power uh, that it had started even beyond ramadan because it's, this is the last day of ramadan i know that when the greater Israeli repression is, the more courageous Palestinian people, young Palestinian women and women will continue to fight in the streets. I know that Israeli repression won't deter Palestinians. What I do fear is of that the elite, the Palestinian leadership, whether the leadership in the West Bank, whether the leadership in 48, will uh, try to uh, hijack this movement, try to call for calm, try to use this um, reformist discourse that, okay, you, you are uh, entitled to protest, but not like this. So just to preach to us how to protest. This is my fear. My main fear is not of the Israeli occupation forces as much as of uh, the local elites that will try to do all that they can in order to hijack this movement. Also, my fear is that uh, because the Israeli court has uh, temporarily delayed its uh, final decision on Sheikh Jarrah, that will, some people will treat that at some sort of victory and not understand that this, this is just another attempt by the Israeli attorney general and by the Israeli politicians and by the court in order to contain this amazing movement that we have been witnessing. If we are well aware to these threats, I'm sure that this movement will continue. And beyond continuing and beyond achieving the concrete demands that this movement set out for itself, which is to stop the forced displacement in Sheikh Jarrah, the most important thing to come out of this movement is the consciousness that it is fostering among Palestinian youth. The insistence that whatever Israel has tried to do since 1948, as Mohammed said, to fragment the Palestinian people, to erase their Palestinian identity, to domesticate them, and to uh, use your word to drive them into submission, this has all failed despite the budget, despite all forms of soft and violent direct repression and oppression, this has failed. So this is a very important movement. Youth in Palestine, many of them are teenagers, are embroiled in a historic moment, and this will continue to affect them and to shape their politics for many years to come. And this is, for me, the most important things to come out of this movement, regardless of its outcomes and regardless of how it ends. Well, thank you, Badur. We've um, we've got a number of uh, comments from uh, from viewers. Dave Chappell says, just like 2014, it's important to note how Netanyahu manufactured this latest situation through motivating, inciting some of the most fascistic, Zionistic fanatics in the hope to stay in office and escape prosecution. His pernicious criminal corruption needs to be highlighted also. Um, our friend in uh, Paris says, I'm 25, I live in Paris, just to let you know about the situation amongst my young peers in France. Now I'm seeing more and more friends on my social media sensitized about Israeli apartheid against the Palestinians. All of this, thanks to your incredible mobilization on the ground, not only now, but ever since I've witnessed that friends of mine who have never even heard about Palestine have started to share posts about the violent Israeli attacks and starting to share the very narrative formulated by pillars Palestinians over the decades. Um, Latifa says, what the media is not saying is the force of international lobby groups against the Palestinian narrative. Could the, could the panelists comment uh, further? We'll come to that. Robert in London says, um, asks in fact, um, and I'll put this to you uh, if I may, Issam, Palestine has such a young population, Gaza especially with over 1 million children under siege. Can the youth finally unite right across Palestine from Jerusalem to Gaza and in the diaspora too and make a meaningful change? Issam, I'll give that one to you. Yeah, of course, definitely. And I I would like to follow the tips of Mohammed in criticizing the governments. I believe we have a kind of unity when it comes to judging our political representation that we see them as a useless case to represent or even to suffice or even to fit the plots that we're shooting on those lands. That is why I believe the emergence of those youth in Gaza, in the West Bank, in the diaspora, it is a critical movement that we are starting to understand our narrative. We started to function on the ground through mobilizing and intersectionality with different injustices happening around the world. This is such a significant change. And now we are witnessing campaigning happening in all over the world. A, 
trying to impose sanctions on Israel. And this is the very first step, I believe, towards liberating our coast, towards reclaiming our narrative. And this is such a critical work, and it wouldn't be enough without your efforts of spreading those narratives and uh, spreading the truth, trying to, uh, trying to force your governments to let, uh, I mean, to the impunity uh, that Israel have because of the U.S. funds force. Thank you, Issam. Unfortunately, we're, we're entering into our last few, um, few minutes. Um, so I wanted to come back to you each in turn, if, if I may, because you just touched on that, Issam, in terms of, because I think this is what the theme that's been coming through from, our, from people right across the world who've been sending in questions and making points. People really want to know what they can do to help. Um, and they also know what they can, what they want to do, what they get force their governments to do, or what they can encourage organizations they're members of to do. Um, what they can encourage the UN to do or not do. I mean, all of these things are very, very important. And it's, it's um, specific campaigns, specific issues, what practical action. So, Mohammed, if I may come to you, um, there's been talk of sports boycott, in, you know, in re-engaging sports boycotts, for instance, um, calling for a global uh, sanctions campaign similar to that um, that was successfully deployed against apartheid South Africa. Um, what what do you think? What what do you really think should be the top priorities, Mohammed, for us all across the globe? Um, first of all, I saw Dave Chappelle was here. Hi, big fan. <laughs> um, in terms of things that people can do, let me give you my recommendations. I think first of all, you should be planning your next protest already. And when you're at the protest, you should be planning the next one. And when you're at the next one, you should be planning the next one. And you should never stop until the occupation is ended. I think you should boycott all Israel products. It doesn't matter wh where they were made. It doesn't matter if it's a settlement product or if it's made in an LGBTQ friendly vegan bakery shop in Tel Aviv, you should boycott all Israeli products. Um, period. And you should push your governments to sanction Israel. Again, to remind people who have been living under a rock, we are being murdered. We are being bombed. We are being besieged. We are being, we are being forced to mm -hmm. an open air prison. Our youth are getting kidnapped and forced to be um, in administrative detention for God knows how long. Even in the most subtle ways, we are being indignified. I cannot walk outside of my house without a soldier shoving me, a soldier to asking me to leave the neighborhood. I cannot walk, get on a train without a settler wielding a rifle in front of me. It is not normal. And I don't care about whose feathers I'm gonna ruffle by saying, um, by asking people to boycott. It's like the bare minimum to ask you to boycott um, all Israeli products. It's not violent, it's, it's not, um, discriminatory it's the correct and moral thing to do it's a good start um, but again i think protesting and calling your governments and pressuring your governments if you're in the united states pressuring your local governments to stop the police exchanges um, that israel has um, where pol israeli police trains you u.s police if you're in other governments that i don't know much about do like figure out what the hell your government is involved in um, that enables Israeli occupation and stop it. Call G4S, yell at G4S, yell at your local politicians, yell at Puma, yell at SodaStream, yell at whoever you can, be angry. It's, it's like time's up for me. I'm so sick and tired of living under this. I'm so sick and tired of it. Thank you. Thank you, Mohammed. I mean, mo many of us around the world can't really possibly imagine what you're having to live through um, at all. So the very least we can do is to, to, to try and carry out some of what you've suggested there in whatever ways we can. We all have power. Um, Issam, um, if I could just put the same question to you, what, do, what, what, what would you advise people to do? Yeah, of course, I would like to ensure the importance of the BDFs, just boycott whatever is really products and wherever they are made. This is a critical point because the, 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 the funds, I mean, the sellings of those products, they go directly to impose more sanctions, to impose, to impose more dehumanizations on Palestinians. And this is the first step. The second step, as I said before, is start amplifying the voices of, of Palestinians, start listening to them, not about them. The third part is that try to approach your government parties, whoever they are, try to embarrass them that they are contributing to this humanization, to this ethnic cleansing system. Uh, this will create a pressure uh, uh, on the international community to act and to abide by its responsibilities towards this, this dehumanization and this, this killings and this murdering of Palestinians. Until so far, we are witnessing 
a lot of casualties, and I don't like to call them casualties, they're murdered people, 10 children, four women. So what are we waiting for? I, if, if, if those straight facts forward, given to you, they're not convincing you enough to act, I have no idea what logic in earth would convince you to do so. Thank you, Issam. Um, so in those final moments, so Stephen Waters says, uh, what you can do is join Palestine Solidarity Campaign in the UK. Um, www.palestinecampaign.org. Um, Susan Matheson, she says, I lived under apartheid and I visited the West Bank and it felt the same as apartheid in South Africa. So many similarities. Uh, Zainab Alp says, Israel wants to get rid of Palestinians. So the boycott, the sanctions are very good, but they're not enough. We have to push our governments to take real action. Um, Zainab also says in South Africa, there was an apartheid in Palestine, there's ethnic cleansing. What worked in South Africa will not work in Israel. Um, and Kari Baranka Daniela, she says, I cannot thank you enough for this space. It's been amazing listening to all of you. Greetings from Mexico. We're all with you. Well, look, thank you very, very much. I think we may have lost Badur, um, uh, but I really would like to thank both you, Mohammed, and Issam for coming on today, uh, especially at this time. Um, it's been very, very important and very important for those hundreds of people, thousands of people who are going to, to who are viewing this and who will be viewing this. Uh, and and uh, we are very grateful to you for, for what you have done today. And we wish you all the very, very best. Um, and we all hope to redouble our efforts uh, over the coming days and weeks. Um, and uh, certainly your friends around the world will not rest. So thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you also, of course, to our Palestine Deep Dive team, uh, to Omar, to Alex, to Kieran. Uh, thank you. And um, until the next time, uh, it's goodbye from Issam Mohammed, and it's goodbye from me, Mark Seddon. Goodbye. <laughs>